The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. accordance with PA 254 of 2020, the members should identify their physical location by start stating the county, city, township, or village, and state from which he or she is attending the meeting remotely. So we're going to do roll call first. Roll call. Mayor Garrett. Present in Lathrop Village, Michigan, Oakland County. Mayor Pro Tem Cantor. Present, Lathrop Village, Oakland County, Michigan. Councilmember Ferguson. Present, Lathrop Village, Oakland County, Michigan. Councilmember Medley. Uh, present, Old Field, uh, Suffolk County, New York. And Councilmember Siddiqui. Here in Lathrop Village, Oakland County, Michigan. Madam Mayor, you have a quorum. Thank you. First up is going to be, I hope I'm looking at the right one, but um, the wildlife management. Yes, Mayor and Council members, I invited um, Dr. David Schaefer to attend the meeting. I had a meeting with um, some representatives from Southfield and they had mentioned that they have a um, citizens wildlife advisory and um, the conversation, conversation came up about concerns residents have expressed in regards to deer and coyote. And um, Dr. Schaefer is here to talk about what, how they're approaching it and some of their research and possibly how we might be able to partner, I think. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Um, and no need to call me doctor. I'm a lawyer, but not a doctor. So I appreciate it, but did not go to school that long. So um, no, thank you to your, uh, your city administrator. And uh, my name is David Schaefer. I'm the chairman of Southfield's um, relatively new Wildlife Advisory Commission. Um, and we were formed last year with the goal of helping advise the city council in Southfield as to how best to address some of the wildlife concerns residents have raised, um, largely with a focus on deer and coyotes right now, as those seem to be the two that our residents are most concerned about. And I imagine that Lathrop Village has very similar concerns uh, being in the same area. So. Um, if, it, if I may, I was planning on just sharing a brief PowerPoint presentation with a few slides on some of the information that we've gathered, walking through um, what we've done and what action Southfield's taken so far. And then if anyone has any questions, I'm happy to field questions as well. Um, so let's see if I am, if I can be authorized to share a screen. There we go. All right, can everyone see the screen? All right, great. Um, so as I said, we were formed fairly recently, um, late in 2021, and we didn't begin meeting until January of 2020, or late in 2020, we began meeting in 2021. Um, the goals of the commission were essentially to seek out input from residents and other stakeholders, work collaboratively with all interest groups, um, both in the city and without the city 
and to also work with county and state agencies to essentially develop a wildlife program for the city of Southfield, uh, which right now is still a fairly loose concept because we're trying to figure out what the residents want, what the residents need and what the city can do. Uh, some of the things we approached are just um, from a general perspective, we had about six months to put together an initial report. So we engaged on an information gathering campaign, looked into some signage and road hazard issues. Uh, we did do a preliminary resident survey in Southfield. It was a fairly small turnout, so I'm not going to rely too much on that, but I can let you know what we found. Um, we looked at what some neighboring communities and other communities in the state have done, looked into educational opportunities and management techniques, and then put forward a number of short and long-term recommendations to the city council. And then recently, we have recommended that Southfield join a regional effort that the Farmington Hills City Council had proposed for trying to look towards a regional and collaborative solution that involves both local governments, the county and the state, trying to address this in a less than a piecemeal approach. So just to kind of frame the issue for you, um, I'm sure you're all aware that the deer population in Oakland County has been growing very quickly. And part of that is due to a lack of natural predators. And another part of that is um, development in more traditionally rural areas which is causing deer to move back in towards the urban areas, oftentimes following waterways like the Rouge River. Uh, Southfield and Farmington Hills have been doing an aerial count for a number of years now to try and estimate the population numbers. If you go back to 2018, Southfield had about 248 deer that were counted. In 2019, it was about 279. But then last year in 2021, it had jumped up to 869. And just for a little bit of perspective, that would be the equivalent of a, over 30 deer per square miles, which is well above what the natural carrying capacity for deer is, which is generally 5 to 10 per square mile, or maybe up to 20 in an urban area. And Farmington Hills found a similar growth. They're at about 730 deer counted during the same survey, which is about 22 per square mile. Um, I, I don't want to put too much credence in the numbers because the accuracy of these surveys can change based on weather conditions. They normally look for footprints and snow and other signs. Um, but I do think that the a steady pattern of increased population is shown here. And I would hazard a guess that the population would be more likely an underestimate than an overestimate, but you never know with deer moving across city lines. Uh, we've talked with some research biologists in the area and with DNR. The general consensus is that deer, even in urban areas, like to follow the green areas. So your golf courses, your cemeteries, your river uh, corridors, things like that. And then they kind of branch out from there. Um, you generally see about 1.8 to two deers per doe a year reproducing. So they're double, each doe can be doubling their number each year. And in urban areas, the, the fawns tend to survive more often than in a more rural setting so you don't have as much mortality which causes the population to grow faster and everyone in the area has seen a steady move from west to east of deer moving closer and closer to the urban environments where they used to be more in western Oakland county and beyond so there's a number of different options available to communities when it comes to deer if the community wants to take an active approach um, you know one of the Cornerstones is going to be public education. That's the first thing any city can do. Teach your residents and help your residents to understand what their options are, what to be concerned about, what not to be concerned about. If they're concerned about landscaping, there's things they can try and do 
to help minimize and uh, conflict and live in harmony with wildlife. But there is going to be conflict if population numbers keep growing. And if we get to a point where our local wildlife don't have a food source, you can try all the repellents and natural vegetation management you want. They're still going to eat everything they can if they're hungry. And we are probably getting close to that point in Southfield if the last year's survey was accurate because of the numbers that we saw. So there's a number of different options. Um, the one that everyone is aware about is uh, lethal population control, which generally involves using local archers or sharpshooters, um, either through residents in a monitor hunting program or hiring third-party contractors. Those options are the most cost-effective. Um, they are effective at a practical level, but they also tend to be very controversial at a public level because a lot of people don't like the idea of um, killing deer or any animals for that matter. Uh, but a number of cities and areas have had success with these. Um, the Kensington Metro Parks and the Oakland County Metro Parks in general have been doing some hunts for a while. And Meridian Township has also done a hunt within their borders for a number of years now, which has helped them keep their numbers under control, but it is an annual process they have to do. And for those communities that do decide to do the lethal population control, they generally do it a partner with programs like Hunters Against Hunger, which uh, cover the processing fees for meat and ensure that any meat harvested from the animals gets processed and then donated to food shelters and food pantries around the area so that nothing goes to waste. Um, two other methods that have been growing in popularity, but they are also more expensive, are physical sterilization, which would be much like getting your dog or cat fixed, except it's done in the field, um, or chemical birth control, which is a process that's been used for a number of years with uh, feral horses or wild horses, depending on what camp you're in, out in the West. Uh, both of these are options that are out there. It requires some additional approval at the state level and permitting, things like that. Um, but they are available. There are some companies that do them. Others are research groups that apply for grants through states, uh, but they also tend to be a lot more expensive. Um, you know, when you put it into numbers, a uh, hunt generally costs a, you know, $100 to $300 per animal, maybe a little bit more if you got to pay processing fees. Uh, physical sterilization can be $500 or more per animal, and chemical birth control can be $1,500 or more per animal. So it ends up being a fairly large cost if you're dealing with a large population, uh, but they're all options that are available to a city. And everything we've read has suggested that the cities that have had and townships that have had the most success have been ones that got their residents involved at an early stage. Um, because regardless of what the bill is, if your residents aren't happy, you're going to have problems with the program. So that's what Southfield's trying to do now is to engage with the residents um, and other local communities to figure out what there is an appetite for and what people can afford and to try and make a plan for a long-term solution. Um, and just to put in context some of the costs that are already being spent, I don't know what the village is spending on roadkill pickups, but I do know that Southfield's uh, Public Works Department spends anywhere from $26,000 to $30,000 a year picking up and disposing of um, roadkill wildlife most of which tends to be deer. Um, and they've also started tracking the locations where wildlife is picked up so that we can try and use that to better place signs and to figure out if there's other areas to invest. Um, so what you'll see now is just a map. Um, 
and I'm happy to share this presentation with you later too, if anyone wants to click through it, but just a map of um, 2020 and 2021 pickup locations for deer carcasses is tracked by our Department of Public Works. If you look at the 2020, you can see that there's some clear hot spots along 10 mile road, um, as well as in areas that generally tend to follow where the Rouge River flows. And then I also pulled data from the Oakland County Road Commission, which shows a similar pattern with reported uh, deer car accidents that tend to correlate generally with where the Rouge River flows, um, but also along some of the major thoroughfares. And I would hazard a guess that a lot of these report numbers with the Road Commission are underreporting because a lot of people don't report accidents unless they sustain fairly serious damage to their vehicle. Another big concern recently that we've been made aware of is the growing coyote population in the area. And that's not unique to our, our community. It's something that many cities around North America have had to deal with. Uh, Toronto and Chicago actually have had um, a lot of issues with these over the past decade, and they've got programs in place now. Uh, the general management proposals for these is it starts at a, a tiered approach, which I'll show you on the next slide. Um, it normally starts with things like public education, feeding bans. If your community doesn't have a wildlife feeding ban already, that's normally a first step people offer. And then also providing some kind of monitoring and reporting system for residents so that they can tell their government where their sightings at and where there's problems at. And you can use that to sort of track the animal behavior and then maybe focus efforts if you have to move into it. Once you get up to air, um, more interactions and more conflict, you start having to take action. Um, hazing is a reference to just basically the idea of instilling the fear of humans back into the wildlife and could be anything from uh, instructing people to shout loud noises, using squirt guns, hoses, chemical repellents, noisemakers, things like that to try and remind the animals that they don't want to be near people's homes and things like that. And then if you get to a high enough level of conflict, you have to start considering removing individual problem animals. And if it continues to get bad and your population's out of control, you may move into large-scale population management. Um, and I do want to point out that a number of communities around the country have tried relocation over the years, and it's been studied by a number of wildlife biologists. And with coyotes, like with many animals, relocation tends to not be effective if it's even legal in the state, uh, largely because the animals try and return home. They have an incredible sense of where they came from, and they will beeline back for where they were removed from. And oftentimes, if they don't make it, they'll cause problems along the way. But you can think just recently, there was a report of a black bear up in the Traverse City area that had to be put down this year by DNR, which had actually been removed and relocated by the state uh, just last year and had traveled quite some distance to get back into the area and was causing problems with people again. So then this next graphic um, is a a tiered threat assessment approach that has been used for coyotes um, by a number of different researchers. And it's just an easy graphic way to think about the problem, if it is a problem. You know, at the low end, you have um, situations where you're rarely or occasionally seeing coyotes at night, which is their more natural um, time period to be moving around night and dusk. Um, and at that point, you can be pretty hands off. It's normally just educating residents, telling people to get their garbage put away, don't let your kit leave your animals out overnight. But as you start seeing animals more frequently and more into the day, 
you start rising on the threat level. And if you get to the point where you're starting to actually have encounters between coyotes and what and uh, people's pets, or coyotes actually showing aggressive behavior towards humans, you're moving into the higher ends of the threat level. Once you get to the point where pets are starting to disappear and the animals are not showing fear of humans anymore, that's when you probably need to consider at a public safety level whether you should be removing some animals. Um, and like I said, we also did do a brief survey with some residents in Southfield. Uh, we only received about 226 responses, so it's a very small subset of the population. Um, but I do think that some of the concerns and numbers that were reported are probably accurate of the larger population as well. Uh, one was that most people in the city aren't feeding wildlife. That being said, there are people that are. I've been on the Nextdoor app and heard um, and read about many stories of this. We've actually proposed that Southfield look at its code of ordinances and adopt an ordinance that specifically and clearly makes it prohibited to feed deer and coyotes and perhaps other wildlife in people's backyards. Um, some of the biggest concerns that people raised were damages to uh, landscaping gardens and the natural environment at uh, city parks and recreation areas. Um, many people, no matter what their stance on the issue is, view the deer population in the Southfield and Oakland County areas getting out of control. A lot of our residents wanted something to be done. I think over 70% wanted the city to be more active, but they're very split on what that means. Um, they're very split on how they want their tax money spent, and people are very split on whether they support any kind of lethal population control. And in fact, when cost wasn't factored into it in the questions, a majority of Southfield residents said they were opposed to lethal methods. Uh, with coyotes, there is a growing concern. People were more supportive of lethal population control when cost was not added as a factor there. Um, but still, it was very divisive. I mean, you're talking about splits of 60-40 or 55-45. Um, there are a lot of concerns from residents about fleas and ticks carrying diseases. Um, Lyme disease is a big concern for many people. And then just general safety risks. As the animals start to be less fearful of humans, people are concerned about their kids and about their pets. And a lot of people just don't know what to do in these situations. And there was a large um, amount of support, almost unanimously, for increased public education, uh, potentially doing some more signage along areas where uh, wildlife crossings are frequent, and engaging in some habitat restoration and landscape restoration work around the city. Um, and this next slide really just summarizes most of the points that I already laid out. So I'm not going to go back over that. Uh, but I did want to just let you know what is Southfield doing so far. So our commission gave its first presentation to the city council in early August after having presented to a subcommittee. Um, we haven't received any formal marching orders at this point, but there was very broad support on the council for public education efforts, increased signage, and creating an online presence linked to the Southfield City website that can serve as a repository for information for residents. Um, we're working with the administration right now to get some of those things implemented and hope to have some of it up and running soon. There were also um, people raising interest about creating a centralized reporting system for residents to raise issues about uh, wildlife sightings, coyotes, deers, and other things. We're actually looking into whether the Southfield Solutions app can be um, retrofitted to work for this purpose, and I, I'm looking pretty optimistic, so I think that it can. 
And then, as I mentioned at our last meeting, the commission did recommend that Southfield join the regional coalition that was proposed by Farmington Hills recently to try and create a regional plan for dealing with this at a countywide level. Uh, but we also are recommending that we continue local efforts because I think that anyone that's worked with multiple level, levels of government in the state um, can probably feel confident that any kind of regional approach is going to take some time to get off the ground. And then, of course, you got to secure funding for it as well. Um, what we aren't doing right now is proposing any kind of population control um, at a, a hunt or a call or a birth control level. Um, it seems like there's a lot of disagreement both among our elected officials and our residents on this. We are going to focus our efforts right now on public education and what we can do on the front end. Uh, we're going to try and bring some more speakers to the city, do some seminars, allow residents to ask questions and get the information out there for people. And then maybe in the future, we will either have, um, I know our mayor has proposed a, a non-binding vote as, as to what to do. I don't know what the city council is going to approve ultimately, um, but I do think that eventually over the next year, we'll probably see some more public outreach to try and get the, the residents engaged and get more guidance as to what they'd like the city to do moving forward. Um, but that's everything I have as far as the slides go. So if there's any questions I can answer or anything you'd like um, to follow up on, I'm happy to do that. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Does anyone have any questions? Do, do we have um, a lot of uh, deer uh, crashes? I know we've got a lot of deer. I mean, I've been hearing from residents the last couple of weeks of, you know, about, about lots of deer sightings, and I've seen them myself. But do we, do we have a lot of uh, car deer incidents in, in, in Lather Village? Do we know? I don't have any actual um, statistics on that. I, I don't think there's a lot of them. We, we send those deer to Southfield. Yeah, just curious. <laughs> so um, one of the things um, that I thought would be really helpful is, as we're going forward with this is, do we have a feeding ban? Because I know there are people who are feeding the deer um, and so I don't know if, you know, and that's, as, as you said, David, I think that that's banned. We actually, people shouldn't be feeding the deer. Is that correct? Yeah, it's, it's technically already banned in the lower peninsula per DNR regulation. Um, but there are people that do it still. Yeah. And so I, I think a lot of the concerns that, that I've seen is people, you know, they're concerned when there was a deer that was limping, it obviously had been hit or something was wrong. Um, but obviously the, the coyotes are following the deer where they are, you know, and also the, the small animals. But I think if, if people are concerned about all the wildlife, that might be the place to start is, is to make sure that people know that, that we shouldn't be feeding them. And if you are interested in that, I believe that Farmington Hills and Ann Arbor both have ordinances in place in their communities already that could probably serve as a, a template or a model for anything. Yeah, for sure. David, did, did you say Southfield is is thinking about enacting their own ordinance for not feeding, or is that underway? We are we are considering it. Um, it's at the very very early stages. Uh, we're going to work with our legislative subcommittee on the city council um, to get some feedback there, and then uh, probably request that the city attorney draft something for us at that point. Well, thank you. Does anyone else have any other uh, questions? Yeah, Cheryl, could we put something in the e-newsletter, you know, just reminding people not to not to feed deer? Um, you know, I, I know we'll probably discuss whether or not we want to have our own ordinance or not, but it, it, in the interim, that'd be great to just uh, alert residents. 
And it might be worthwhile to um, look at joining that regional coalition that seems to be forming as well. Yeah, that's a good idea too. Anything else? Well, thank you, Mr. Schaefer, for your time. And um, I want to say that we probably will be in touch um, <laughs> further. Um, so thank you again. Thank you. And I'll be, I'll be sure to pass things on to your city administrator as we move forward doing Southfield. So. Okay, that sounds great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, next up is the cannabis, uh, cannabis ordinance uh, discussion. Mayor and council members, if you recall, you're asking for a survey of the residents relative to the um, community benefits um, portion of the, I guess, application process. So Susie um, worked on drafting a survey question, um, which was shared with you by email just before the meeting. And I don't know if you're able to share it. Yeah. yeah, let me pull this up real quick. There we hold on, let me get you all. There we go. There you go. So um, as Cheryl was saying, I put together, um, this is, um, a draft outline of what the survey will look like. And then once I get your feedback, I'm, I'll uh, get this into a survey monkey and uh, we can get it out fairly quickly. Um, in discussing this with Jill, uh, you know, we thought that really, I mean, what this comes down to is it, it's best to really try and uh, link this, link the community benefits with the capital improvements plan since, you know, that really gives us a more legally defensible um, justification for any of the, having any of these requirements. Um, our capital improvements plan is tied to the goals of our master plan and the goals of our master plan are, you know, linked with our zoning. And so, um, so we thought that maybe that would be a better route um, to, to gain feedback and, and kind of formalize it. Um, this would also, uh, having this tied to the capital improvements plan also allows us to further engage residents on um, projects that they think they feel uh, maybe we, the city should be tackling in the next um, one to six years. So I've put together, like I said, this uh, outline of the of a community benefits survey. Um, describing that really what we want is there is resident suggestions for these capital improvement plans. Uh, we've defined, I've defined what a community benefit is and what the capital improvements plan is. And then I've also provided links to the current uh, capital improvements plan, as well as the interactive uh, GIS, GIS dashboard. Sorry, I'm having a hard time talking today. Um, and really kept it fairly simple with the, the questions to pose to residents. Uh, one, wanting to know, are you a resident, right? I don't, um, I don't really want to see the deck, the deck get stacked with um, cannabis industry folks. So I think it's important that we um, specifically find out whether or not they're residents, um, whether or not they own commercial property in the city. Um, to see, um, you know, 
what they what those property owners may have to say about it. Um, asking them for additional projects within the CD, CIP, but more specifically, what are their top three priorities for community benefits? Um, what would be their top three priorities overall for the whole capital improvements plan? And whether or not there was any other additional comments about long-term um, capital, this is supposed to say capital improvement needs um, in the community. So that's uh, it in a nutshell for the survey. So I guess, um, one, what do you think about the questions? And two, what are your thoughts about tying it together with the capital improvements plan? Don't everyone talk at once. <laughs> so I'll I'll say something. Um, first and foremost, I, I think what you you've laid out here and the way you've linked it together, Susie, is really good. Um, and just making sure that that all the plans are are working, you know, side by side. The question that that I would ask um, is, are you a registered voter in Lathrop Village? And so, um, because you could be a resident, but not actually be a voting age. And so then are we actually, you know, who are we actually considering there? Um, my other question is, is it worthwhile, even if you aren't a registered voter in Lathrop Village, but you own property in the city, like commercial property, would that be another group of folks that we'd be interested in hearing from separately? Are you solely looking for folks who live and own businesses with the second question? Um, I don't know. I don't necessarily think they have to live and own a business in the city. I think it's um, informative to know whether or not they own commercial property. I mean, and I, I think that question to me is more broadly focused for uh, the CIP as a whole, since the capital improvements plan is for the entire community, not just, you know, not just residents, not just the commercial district. Um, and quite frankly, like the TDA has plenty of capital improvements projects that are solely um, or predominantly going to impact the commercial district. So for me, that's more informative as a whole. Um, so it's an or and not an and? Yes. Okay. Yes. And yeah. so maybe we just- Or maybe an and or, right? It could be both. I, I don't want to be- Okay, because I do think that that's important because I think as we try to attract other businesses, it is important to know if folks are owning commercial property in the city. So I think that's having them both is good. Okay. They all appear to be individual questions, right? Yeah, I had it. I was, I had it bulleted out and then here, I can make this, I can change. I was trying to mess with some formatting in SurveyMonkey already. So it didn't like my bullets. There we go. I had a question about the, now that you have the numbers, number four. Okay. <laughs> so what are we getting at with that question? What are the top priorities for community benefits as opposed to the capital improvement plan? Like don't the community benefits, like you said, relate to the CIP or impact the CIP? Yes and no. So most of the community benefits that we, um, have outlined right now in the application are more based on socioeconomics, right? And so the capital improvements plan, those are those big physical projects um, that re typically require like a one-time outlay of cash, right? So 
think are, you know, our water mains, that's a capital improvement or paving the road. But some of the other ones um, that are in the application right now are, you know, are you hiring Lathrop Village residents? Um, that's not something that can be incorporated into the capital improvements plan. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. But is there a way for them, for people when they get this survey to link and see what all those different community benefits are? That, or do I, they just think of it on their own? I could, I mean, I, I could certainly include uh, what we've, what we've already brainstormed. I can certainly include that in here. Um, I was kind of torn as to whether or not I want to, you know, if I, if I give it to them, am I going to <laughs> inspire creativity or inhibit it, right? Sometimes when you see those things, you don't necessarily, you're like, oh, I would have said that. Okay, I, I can't think of anything else. So if that's something that council would like to see is the list of what we already have, I can put that in there. Maybe, maybe that could just be in the invitation in the overview. Okay. I agree with Councilwoman Medley regarding asking the question if you're a registered voter. And I agree that we should tie it into the capital improvement improvements plan. Um, everything you've you've uh, laid out here is is good. I really appreciate that. Um, just for uh, question five, might want to adjust the typo. But other than that, it should be good. Okay, thank you. Um, question about um so for the registered voter, is it more so that obviously if they're voting, they you know this could be something they vote on. What if they are not a registered voter but they're over the age of eighteen? I mean, does that confused off of that one and the necess the necessity of that? I'm sorry, Kelly, you cut out. I was saying I was a little confused off of the the saying that you had to be a registered voter also because there are people that would be over 18 that aren't registered voters in Lathrop or are you just saying that people that are not registered voters in Lathrop don't get um I guess the same amount of attention or whatever I don't know the word I'm trying to think of right now level of access yeah I, I'm sorry, I, I placed my fingers open today and I my, I'm in pain and I'm just trying to get through this. <laughs> oh, horrible. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, that's my point is 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 typically where you're registered to vote is where your your heart is. And I mean, if we're including and giving an opportunity for people who own businesses, you know, and registered voters. Um, but yeah, I don't. I think if you're a resident, but you're not a registered voter, I don't know how much the city should really be, you know, stepping up and asking for your opinion. I have a hard one with that, but I'm going to, I'll keep my uh, opinions, but I think that that one's going to be a, a hard, I have a hard time with that. Were there any other um, questions that you thought might that we might want to add? And 
my my other question is um you asked people if they owned commercial property what if they own other property do they do they get a vote do they get to respond like what other kind of property well i mean they they could own property but maybe they don't actually live there oh like as they like a a, a rental well a rental but i wouldn't know if necessarily they would consider that commercial um i well okay so so let's yeah, say for, I, I mean i, I had a house saying, and my children live there but i didn't rent it to them I, well i i i see what you're saying um i mean that could be as simple as saying commercial or rental property right you you could just say property sure yep And then um, I I presume you you'd all like to get this out as soon as possible. Is that is that correct? Yes. Yep. Yep. All right. Your next study session is next Monday. Though I don't know how long you want to leave this out for feedback. I mean, it could go up and then, I mean, if, if it's a survey monkey, isn't it pretty much automated when the, the results come in, Susie? Uh, yes. I yeah, so we could, yeah. even if we left it up until, you know, Sunday at midnight or Monday at noon, we'd have the results for the Monday study session. And that's what I was getting at. Did you want the results for this coming Monday? Okay. Yeah. Well, I think I think soliciting, you know, community input, we can leave it up even after that as we go forward with this, because that's not going to change, you know, what what happens or doesn't happen. We're just soliciting input for the, the community benefits. So you're so, saying engage as you go. Mm -hmm. so yes. Right, Council Medley. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you're only giving the the residents one week just to is that what you're saying that you're only giving them one week to review? No, so we'll we'll look at it come Monday for the study session. But just as Ian and I talked about, we can still continue to leave it up and have additional benefits as people, you know, as they come forward to the survey. But the top three priorities for community benefits, capital improvements, those are just those are just informing the decision making process. We don't have to have the survey completed to move forward. I mean, we can solicit the input as we go. I, I would say that you would, um, we would want to close this um, before, uh, before any actions taken on the, um, on adopting the application scoring criteria so that we can incorporate those into that. So I, I don't think that, that, that we have to have all of the feedback to adopt the scoring criteria. We can adopt the scoring criteria, but what you have here, you're just asking people what projects they want considered, what are the priorities 
but that's not going to change the scoring criteria that we have. Right. I agree. I agree with that. So if you say, I want color red, white, and blue, the scoring criteria is going to say we considered the colors. We don't have to specifically name the projects. Correct. I agree with that. So, so we leave it open-ended for some period of time. And I think what staff can do is provide you with um, report updates on those survey results in time for your next two study sessions. Um, on the 4th and the 18th, October. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. And what's the standard duration for um, us to leave a survey monkey up? Like, for example, the last survey monkey we conducted, what's the standard protocol to leaving it up? I don't recall the exact amount, but typically it's a couple weeks, two to three weeks. I think okay. for the... Um, when we did, now it wasn't a survey monkey, but when we solicited uh, public feedback for the comprehensive master plan, we left that um, online platform open for uh, about two weeks. Mm, okay. So I, I've found that as we've, as we've done things, um, you know, for planning commission, uh, or through, you know, for public feedback through that, or even through the DDA, like much beyond two weeks, you're not going to get anything. People just true. kind of forget about it. Yeah, that's true. Okay. Any other questions? Concerns? Susie, we didn't go back and and the the whether or not you're a resident or a registered voter. Can you tell me what what your strategy or what your your thought was as far as whether it should be resident or a registered voter? Um, I think I think it, if we're going to ask the question about registered voter, it should be registered voter or over the age of eighteen. Um, you know, I mean, there's a variety of reasons why an individual may not be registered in the city of Lathrop Village um, yet, right? Perhaps they are, you know, per perhaps they've just moved, they haven't done it. Perhaps they're, you know, fresh I, out I of, think, you know, freshly 18 and they're and they're like, oh, I haven't done it yet. So I- I, just I, I think that's that really good. What if you said a resident or a registered voter and then that was more inclusive as opposed to being exclusive? And I think that would then then bring the folks into the fold you're talking about. And then there are also reasons other folks can't register to vote as well, and they should still have a voice. Well, and I think honestly, it should be um, two separate questions, right? Like, are you a resident or well, maybe not? So I'll figure it out. I'll 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 get it looking good and. Get it out to you guys for a final look. Thank you. Definitely, you want to leave at least leave that question that are you a resident? Mm -hmm. That's I think that's important. So I wouldn't cut that out at all. Either add a separate one like you're doing or together. So.
Sorry about that. Um, are we still uh, any more questions on this? Any more discussion? Okay, um, not really sure. Well, there's a letter that is from um, Mr. Roberts in the uh, in the packet. Um, you can read at your leisure, or if somebody would like to read it out loud for um, the attendees, that's fine with me. Also, totally up to you. Uh, otherwise, we are. Why is this moving too fast? We are moving on to. I think it's going to be the status report. Is that I, right? I guess I have one, one other question just before we before we move on. Sorry. Um, so I guess it's for Scott Baker and uh, Susie's, Susie's that question. Um, are we still on track for a uh, draft of the scoring matrix uh, resolution for uh, next Monday? I think so. Yeah, I think that's that's realistic. OK. Just want to make sure. Thanks. And that's just a review of it because that's only a um, study session, right? Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to to check. So, um, are we still looking? Um, and and I'm sorry, I missed the last uh, study session, so there was no Wi-Fi where I was. Um, but um, still valuing points for the redevelopment um, for non-utilized spaces. Is that is that one of the things, Scott, that you'll be considering? I actually don't have it in right in front of me, but it is okay. it, it was one of the things we had talked about during the last study session was trying to find ways to to provide up for um, just equitable opportunities to earn points for as far as property owners go. But we also did want to put some emphasis on those redevelopment ready properties. Okay, and for like for areas that are underdeveloped. We talking about the house in the woods? No, <laughs> I would never. I know. <laughs> no, I think that I think we what we had talked about again was that there would be a, kind of a sliding scale depending on the, the level of investment in the property. Thank you. Okay, um, moving on to the status report on the phase two storm water permits. You're on mute, huh? Excuse me. All right. It, this is in regards to the illicit discharge and elimination program that's a part of our um, outfall inspection with the state, the um, Eagle used to be DNR. And it's a five year program. So this year was a in the past year was a testing period in regards to the stormwater discharge. So they identified um, there were originally seven outfalls, um, ones um, being taken off of this list and actually placed on the catch basin list. And then there were some opportunities for some improvement in regards to some of those sites and um, DPS and staff are already working on those. But I just wanted to share the actual status report with you. So it's just informational, no action is required. Thank you. Anybody have any questions or concerns about the report? Feedback? Yeah, there was there was one that they couldn't get a measurement on because of the condition that it was in. I, I assume they're going to try to 
clean that one up so that they can get a measurement on it? Correct. Okay. If there's no other questions on that one, are you ready to move on to yep. D? Okay. Yep. DDA Special Projects Manager, expanded job duties. Yes. So, um, at, at, as you all know, um, the departure of Chris led to um, led to some roles that needed to be filled, and um, Corey Dahl, the uh, the DDA uh, and Special Projects Manager, uh, was asked to take on the the community and events uh, responsibilities that that Chris had had undertaken. And so uh, she happily agreed. And at the, uh, and the executive, the DDA executive committee met at the beginning of September to kind of discuss um, what her expanded role could be, as well as um, a corresponding salary increase. Uh, and just to give a bit of background, uh, last fall, the executive committee uh, kind of they hammered out an agreement with uh, the city for a cost share agreement um, and as part of that agreement um, the DDA covered a covered 15 percent of the parks and rec coordinator salary so that equated to approximately eight thousand um, dollars with Chris's departure that obviously left um, that eight thousand um, dollars open and available. And so uh, at their board meeting on uh, September 6th, 17th, I'm sorry, uh, the board decided to allocate that $8,000 towards a salary increase for uh, the DDA and special projects manager position. And the city agreed to contribute an additional $4,000 uh, for uh, for that salary increase uh, to cover the projects that fall outside of the DDA boundaries. So the roughly the city is paying $6,000 for Corey's salary and the remaining $36,000 is coming directly out of the DDA's, um, DDA's budget. So uh, that'll bring her total salary to $43,000 and it's in the memo contain and this will be updated in the cost share agreement um, with the city, but the split will still remain 90% DDA funded, 10% city funded, and uh, that is in a nutshell what it is. Did you say that um, her salary be 43 or 42? 42. Oh, okay. And I just want to note that this is a shifting of dollars. It's not an increase overall in either of our budgets. Okay. So my question is, are we not going to be hiring for a parks and rec coordinator at all? We're not going to uh, consider that position any longer? Or we just, yeah. Definitely not a full-time. I don't anticipate even a part-time at the present time. We have a meeting scheduled with the city of Southfield for Wednesday. 
to oh, yeah. talk about um, you know, enrichment programming. So we'll see how that goes. And um, I'll have a more robust uh, report for you, if not this Monday, by your um, October 18th meeting. Um, so this is not an increase, but is it also, is it just, it's a flat across the board. We're not doing an increase to any salaries, but we're also not saving any money by doing this. By my calculation, I mean, the DDA is not, there's no change in the DDA's, um, in the DDA's budget. Um, my calculations, and Cheryl and Pam can correct me if I'm wrong, this uh, would be a savings to the city of approximately $35,000, $36,000. Does that sound about right? I don't recall off the top of my head what what Chris's exact salary was. So it was roughly that. So his salary is just going to stay out there, not being utilized. That's what you're saying. In a nutshell, that's what you're saying. Right. So we're basically saving the Chris's we'll salary plus four thousand dollars. Yeah. So whatever that yes. number is, that's what we're saving because we're eliminating the position. So Cheryl, will do you anticipate, you know, um, and maybe maybe you can't tell at this this time, but you know, let's say a year from now, you know, Delta variant is gone, COVID is conquered, um, things get back to normal. Do you anticipate being able to cover all of the um, responsibilities that Chris was doing through splitting it up to other people, or do you think at at, at that point then we might have to you know, go back to a full time position or a part time position for you know? Uh, to backfill Chris, so to speak. I, I'm open to taking another look at it, especially a year from now, um, particularly if there were increased participation in some of our recreational programming. Um, but the other elements of his job were pretty extensive also, including the oversight of the building and safety and parks in particular. So figuring out how to contract or redistribute those responsibilities is what I'm working on for now. For the short term and then we'll look at it long term as well yeah that makes sense thanks so i um had a concern from a resident uh, about eliminating um chris's uh position so we're just we're confident at this point that corey will be able just to maintain as is as it was going on like now yeah she was yes. already participating in most of the major programs because they were mostly located here on site um, in the parks and downtown. So it's, it's not that big a transition in regards to the major programs that we were already offering, you know, such as the, um, the tree lighting ceremony and fall fest and things of that nature. Now, Corey's been doing a really good job. Um, for, you know, the, the programs that I was involved with her with. So just want to make sure and rest or give reassurance to residents that um, the programs that were in the works or the ones that we are used to every year will still be um, being carried off without a hitch. Yeah, she definitely has Chris's energy. Uh, yeah, it's uh, and it's you know I've I've reassured her on any of those moments where she's like, ah, it, this is a package deal. You know, I mean, this is they're in the DDA for the most part, and so we're we're working together on this. Um, I mean, we are still doing fall fest is still a go. We still have the tree lighting. Um, breakfast with Santa, as well as the, the artisan market um, that, the, that we were 
that we hosted a couple of years ago and then we're planning to bring back anyways. So we still have quite a bit um, in the works for everyone. And there's the added benefit to the city and that the cost sharing percentages is um, greater for Corey's position than it was for Chris. So <laughs> right, right. we're leveraging that as well. Okay. And, and if you want, we can talk about the um, RFP for the realtor in the regular council session since that's going okay. to be there as well. Okay. Well, then um, we have three minutes to go into um, two minutes now to go into the regular meeting. So is there anything that's burning that someone has to say right now um, or that cannot wait until our regular meeting? And public comment. And public comment. I'm sorry. I didn't see was anybody's hands up for public comment. No hands raised for public comment. Okay, well then um, I would um, say let's log off of here and uh, reconvene as the city council meeting um, in one minute, two minutes too. Okay. All right, see you in a minute. All right.